Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who went undrafted after his senior year at Assumption College in Worcester. He spent seven seasons in the independent leagues before getting a shot with the Minnesota Twins. He won the International League MVP in 2003, the same year in which he made his Major League debut. In 2004, he made the Twins starting lineup out of spring training, rotating between the outfield, first base, and DH. He had an amazing start this season, batting 308, three home runs, 27 RBIs through the first 23 games. On April 26, he surpassed Hall of Famer Kirby Puckett's twin franchise record of 26 RBIs in the month of April. His father, Lou, played baseball in Italy for seven years, later pitching in the 1984 Olympics. It is a pleasure to welcome former Major Leaguer and author of be a hitter. Chris Calabello to Sports Talk New York. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm good, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me. We're, you know, so far, knock on wood, we're, we're doing good. We're, we're healthy, and we're, we're trying to stay that way, just like everyone else in the world is right oh. now. Um, so first and foremost, with someone who has um, a tremendous tie to Italy, as your dad played for the Olympic team, you played for the Italy national team in 2013 World Baseball Classic, Italy at the 2007 World Baseball Classic, as well as the Italian national team in the 2008 Super 6 Baseball Tournament, and Team Italy in the 2009 European Baseball Championship. What are your thoughts on how, you know, what's going on in Italy now and how they're coping with the corona pandemic? Yeah, you know, it's pretty crazy. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a weird time in our world right now. Uh, there's so many different reports that are out. It seems like it's really the only thing there is to talk about, uh, you know, on a social level. Um, and obviously, they're going through some tough times in Italy, scary stuff. I think, you know, I, I've been in touch with uh, some of my current teammates from the Italian national team on a daily basis. We're actually... Uh, we're trying to schedule calls every day so that we can kind of, uh, you know, stay in contact with an, with one another and also, you know, kind of keep each other updated on, on what's going on in different regions of the country and things like that. So, um, you know, obviously it's, it's scary stuff. Um, you know, Italy's a great nation, and, you know, I think they're going to get through this uh, kind of like anything else, and obviously they've given us kind of uh, – pretty good idea of like how things have, have progressed over there from the early stages of it to now seeing what it's possibly turned into over there. So, um, you know, it, it's just a tough time and, you know, hopefully everybody will, will get through it and uh, we'll be better because of it. A great videos out of Italy today with the people taking to their terraces and all singing in unison out there, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, it, it's a way to get through, you know, uh, troubling times. I saw one sure. of a personal trainer up on a roof with people on their balconies still <laughs> exercising. Yeah, it's incredible. So close yeah. to home and something you can relate to as well is every spring there are a lot of players that are in, in baseball camps who are not on the 40-man roster battling to be noticed and maybe make the team or be added to that 40-man roster. Those players don't get paid during spring training. Can you tell us, you know, put yourself in that shoes and, and being in that position at certain times and how that temporary shutdown of spring training now affects their lives? Yeah, I mean, you guys just uh, were so kind and eloquent in your opener of uh, my lead-in there. Uh, You know, 2014 was a year where I was not expected to make a team out of camp as uh, as the season. And obviously spring training was really important for me for that opportunity. So, 
Um, it, it's just uh, it's a strange happening, and you know, obviously, most of the teams I would say at this point have a pretty good idea of who their twenty third, twenty fourth guy are, but maybe there's a couple roster spots open that we're going to be battled out uh, at camp. So, you know, it puts a strain on that. But obviously, in the bigger picture, you know, I think everybody understands the safety and health of all the players and their families is what's most important. So um, I'm sure in the aftermath of this, guys will look back on it and say, well, if I just had spring training. But, you know, unfortunately, these are the circumstances that we're being dealt with now. And uh, I think hopefully um you know things tend to shake themselves out the way they're supposed to you know my first my first uh appearance in the big leagues came in a year when i had gone to camp but obviously didn't make the team out of camp um and then was fortunate enough to start out the season the way i did and get my opportunity by the end of may um so you know if if it is any of those situations where guys were really battling for a spot you know hopefully they can once things pick up again, they can kind of uh, take it in stride and, and get off to a good start and get their opportunities then. Yeah, and there's even talk that Major League Baseball might expand their rosters for the first couple of months when they do come back as well. Um, we mentioned in the open how you went undrafted and persevered through many years of indie ball, mostly with the Worcester Tornadoes of the Can-Am Association under manager and former Major Leaguer Rich Gedman. How important was Rich to your career? Uh, I mean, I don't, sorry, my dog just barked in the background. I think he thought you guys were barking at the door, but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it, he was, uh, he was pivotal. I mean, uh, I, I can't say enough about what Rich meant to me, uh, what he still means to me, uh, father, mentor, or surrogate father, I should say, mentor, confidant, older brother, uh, shoulder to lean on. Um, he was everything. Uh, he taught me all about mindset and approach and, understanding how to deal with failure and i I think i I encompass all those things i just said into what it means to be a pro um from the outside looking in most of the world sees baseball and they go "Ah, well if you're talented you should figure it out but there's so many variables on a day-to-day basis anything from how your body's feeling over the course of 162 game season or whatever it is even in the minor leagues 142 or in our case in indie ball 100 um, there's just so many different things that go into it, whether you're 0 for 8, 0 for 12, what the newspaper said the day before, what a fan's yelling in the stands. And I think people sometimes forget that we're all humans and we may or may not have emotions tied to <laughs> that humanity. So um, those things matter uh, very much uh, in the day-to-day life of a baseball player. And I think managing those things and understanding how to cope with them and deal with them is so pivotal, and that I, you know, without having Rich in my in my career in my life, I, I, I can't honestly say that I would have had the wherewithal, tenacity, uh, intestinal fortitude to deal with all the, you know, kind of the times you get kicked in the butt by the game um, because it's a game that does that to you. So uh, I definitely wouldn't have been able to handle all those things without him. And it's also interesting because if you take a look at the percentages of players that come out of the Can-Am League, most of them are pitchers. So what is your mindset all the time as you keep pushing through those years of indie ball in the Can-Am League, and how much did playing close to home all those years make it easier for you to continue to chase that dream? I mean, you just hit the nail on the head. That was a major factor in it, obviously, being able to play close to home and having family and friends and kind of a career in the off season, you know, you're seeing a lot of minor league guys that uh, as the season breaks here, they're going to go, you know, they're going to go far away from the cities where they're playing to go back home and, and they don't have opportunities to pick up work or, or whatever it is. And obviously the circumstances are different, but I was just very fortunate that I had a life 
in the off season that could help me make a few bucks here and there, doing lessons, clinics, being around Rich, who's also a local guy. Um, so that played a major factor in it. I was also one, and one of the things I tell guys now, um, as they're kind of taking the indie ball journey, is you got to be really honest with yourself and, and kind of self-aware enough to to judge whether you know it's a pipe dream or you really believe that you can compete at that level. And I think that's one of the things that I I tried to do to myself day in and day out. I had the you know anybody that goes and looks at my baseball reference page will be able to tell like I could hit. Uh, you know I hit 300 every year of my life. Uh, my my first year my year in Double A was the first year I didn't hit 300 in my life. So. Um, Rich used to say to me, if you hit 300 anywhere, that's, that's really good. So, um, you know, that meant a lot to me. And obviously the game's kind of shifted a little bit now where batting average doesn't really matter. But I always thought it was a, it was a telling sign of consistency, ability to show up every day and ability to adjust to whatever circumstances were around you. Beyond that, I really made three problems. I, I, I held myself to three rules, I guess, that I kind of looked at as uh, whether I would continue playing or not. Number one was that I... You know, it was feasible financially, physically. As long as that held true, I was going to play. Number two, um, as long as I felt like I was still getting better, uh, that was the second condition. And the third one was that I was still having fun and enjoying doing it. And for for me, fortunately, those three things held up throughout the journey. And, uh, you know, little did I know it would turn into what it was. You know, it's interesting because, you know, anyone that's a sports fan always combs the sports pages, and there's always that little section at the bottom which are transactions. And it's, you know, whether it be IHL and hockey or, you know, AHL or, you know, all the different leagues, there's always these transactions. And February 12th, uh, February of 2012, the Worcester Tornadoes sell your contract to the Minnesota (laughs) Twins. And it's funny because I also have, you know, newspapers.com. So I I wanted to see if there were any articles. And out of the hundreds of thousands, Thousands of papers, you know, this one transaction just showed up in the transaction, but there was a little sidebar column saying how the Minnesota Twins always are able to restock their farm system in a unique way and always find talent in, in different places. How did you find out that day that the Tornadoes sold your contract to the Twins? Well, it was a pretty crazy story, to be honest with you. Um, it, it, <laughs> it had been years that I'd been getting invited to some kind of off-season camp type things and, and and things of that nature where you know they were they, i guess they're called tryouts where realistically they're not necessarily tryouts they're just gatherings of independent players and college players that went undrafted who get invited from organizations to kind of get a look and the hard part about those is in one day workouts it, you know there's not many things that you can see me do in one day especially when i was 21 22 years old that i think would really jump off the page at you um, you know, I, I'm tall, which is an advantage, but I didn't hit the ball overwhelmingly far at the time. Um, I didn't, I didn't really look the part as a defender in the sense that I wasn't like a big, you know, smooth first baseman. I was more a guy who figured out how to play first on my own and eventually got pretty good at it. But, you know, in a one day workout, you're not going to do much there. Um, so you don't really get to show off your arm at first base. So the, 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 you know, the, the five tools, I guess, like, you know, other than my hit ability, like what was I going to show off? And realistically speaking, your hit ability shows up in a in a BP, so that's really not the same. Um, so anyway, I, I kind of had gotten to the point where I was just overdoing any of those workouts, and uh, I was just I just happened to get a call that winter um, 
from a, a, an agent who I had spoken to, a kid by the name of Brian Charles, who's my, still my current agent, and uh, we had discussed, and he had asked me if, based on my my years, my season before, it would be okay if he sent out some stuff to teams. And I said, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Like, nobody's ever done that for me. And out of the 30 teams that him and a friend of mine who uh, had worked for an organization had sent stuff out to, Minnesota was the only one to answer. Um, and they actually inviting me to a you know kind of an open tryout they asked if it would be okay if they sent a scout up to work me out um a couple weeks went by the scout came to milford massachusetts uh the smartest thing i ever did in my career was bring rich getman to that workout because i think the scout just listened to everything he had to say instead of actually watching me do stuff and uh little did i know again a couple days later i would be signed so um it was kind of a crazy happening of events and um that's kind of how it went down though so May twenty second, two thousand thirteen, Minnesota Twins versus Atlanta Braves. After over thirty seven hundred Indian affiliated bats spanning eight plus years, you step to the plate top of the second inning against Braves starter Paul Mahalam. What do you remember most about that particular moment? <laughs> well, first of all, I I hadn't slept the whole night before. <laughs> Not because I couldn't sleep, but because uh, we were on our way home from Lehigh Valley. Uh, from we were coming home from Lehigh Valley to go back to Rochester, where the AAA team was, and we got an accident that night. Oh. So, uh, yeah, we were in a we were in an accident on the highway, and our bus got held up for like an hour, which was just another part of the story that makes it even more incredible, I guess. Um, ended up getting to the to back to the stadium about five thirty in the morning, and it was a day game. It was a noon twelve thirty start, I think, in Atlanta. So I hadn't slept at all. And I just remember, like, you know, I had all this adrenaline and, you know, all this just I was so tired, but I, I kind of was balancing it out a little bit, I guess, just from uh, from the two extremes, obviously. And uh, I remember being on the on the step and I turned to the hitting coach and they had had a lot, I think, scored a couple couple runs in the first inning. And I turned to the hitting coach. And I said, hey, I'm going to ambush right here. Is that cool? He goes, yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I, I it's, I'm notorious that I became a first ball hitter in my career. Um, it was one of the things that I just decided the guys in the big leagues are too good, so I'm going to just start trying to swing as much as I can early in counts. And I remember swinging at the first pitch, and I hit a rocket, and I'm, I'm running down to first base. I'm like, yes, I just hit a double in my first big league at that. And, you know, little did I know that gold glove right fielders would run balls down in the gap a little bit easier than they did down in AAA. And Jason Hayward just kind of popped out of nowhere and caught it and said, uh, Rook, go sit down. Uh, you're out in this league. So, um. uh, unbelievable. So, you know, we talked in the open your outstanding uh, start to the 2014 season. Um, you had some low points there um, that that came after that. Um, you finished the only time in your career where your average dipped below 280. You were 229. You came back, um, New Britain. Um, you next following year, 2014, you claimed off waivers by the Blue Jays. You have some great moments that particular year. Then the bottom drops out. April 22nd, 2016, you're suspended mm-hmm. 80 games without pay for testing positive on performance-enhancing drugs on March 13th. And to be honest, my first reaction when I heard that, oh, well, that explains his 2015 numbers. But I have to tell you, and anyone that's listened to this show over the last 15 years, I've been pretty hard on anyone that's ever been you know, even suspected of steroids. But that, for me, with you, changed. Because I think that you were on the Ed Randall show, and I remember hearing you talk. And I was so blown away. I actually contacted your agent back then to try and get you on the show. Um, 
Then I saw something that you said in the Canadian press, uh, and it was, on March 13th, I got one of the scariest and most definitely the least expected calls of my entire life. I was informed by the Players Association that a banned substance was found in my urine. I have spent every waking moment since that day trying to find an answer as to why and how. The only thing I know is that I would never compromise the integrity of the game of baseball. I love this game too much. I care too deeply about it. I am saddened more for the impact that this will have on my teammates, the organization, the fans of the Toronto Blue Jays. I hope that before anyone passes judgment on me, they can take a look at the man I am and everything that I have done to get where I am in my career. It's now four years and two days later. Um, how did that day change your life? And were you able ever to find out what, why you tested positive? And should this also be a red flag for all of us? Because I, I tell you, when I heard that, my opinion completely changed. So should this be a red flag for some of us that immediately when we hear this say, well, wait a minute, maybe there are the tests that aren't always right? That was uh, that was pretty cool that you looked all that stuff up and heard it. So I appreciate that first and foremost for, uh, for, for you know, saying what you just did and really looking into some details of it. Um, the first thing I'll say is prior to that happening in my life, uh, I never imagined that it could happen, right? It's not, it's not even a thought in your mind. It's never a, a consideration because obviously anybody that pays attention to my career path would say, and anybody that hears me talk usually for about five minutes recognizes that I'm a relatively intelligent human being and that I wouldn't risk uh, what I had accomplished, what I, I had been allowed to do in my career to that point uh, for anything, especially considering the fact that uh, I've always been able to hit. Uh, that's that's nothing new. Um, just because I didn't do it at the big league level for long enough, uh, I don't think is necessarily the most telling sign because I just nobody was letting me play in the big leagues at the time. But anyway, um, so imagine uh, kind of the shock uh, to get that phone call, right? And and I think anybody that you know, I, and listen, I've I've come to terms with what the public is going to say. That was the hardest part at the beginning was trying to justify myself to the public and and make everybody understand that I didn't do this. And the hard part was that there was a, uh, you know, a plethora of people before me who had stood up and said, oh, I didn't do this or whatever. And the reality of it was, you know, when people are found to be liars, the, the, precon- the preconception moving forward is that everybody's a liar when it happens. So I knew I was fighting an uphill battle in that direction. Um, that wasn't going to stop me from being adamant about my truth. Um, and I haven't stopped since. Um, again, when typically what happens when a player is suspended by, you know, the league or whatever, it just says suspended for PED, and nobody really kind of looks into anything more or less than that, right? They just see the, the bottom line flash by, somebody, you know, in an article starts talking bad about them, and they don't really think about how or why uh, or what it could have been. Um, I started having to learn a lot more about the how and why. Because, you know, apparently there's 500 supplements on the shelves at GNC or wherever at the stores, vitamin shops, that could cause athletes to test positive. And I think the general population kind of, number one, overlooks that, which to me is in and of itself ridiculous. And that's not to say that I used any of those supplements because I wouldn't dare because I was fully aware of all those things. Now, that being said, uh, again, for anybody that's really paid attention to the story for the last four years, and to, if anybody even knew the amount of back work that I've put in behind the scenes to get to the point where we are with this particular drug, uh, which is 
street name oral turnable, uh, known as dehydrochloromethyltestosterone, chemically speaking. Um, there have been a, a multitude of players who have tested positive for this uh, same single metabolite of the of the drug, and uh, every one of them in like trace amounts or very low quantities. Um, John Jones of the UFC has gone through it, and uh, currently the UFC has made uh, some changes to their rules uh, based on some of the things that they're seeing um, with testing and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, I've done my research, and I will continue to do my research. Uh, it's been incredibly difficult. Uh, it has consumed my life in more ways than you can imagine, and uh it's, it was devastating. You know, everything I'd ever worked for kind of got taken away from me, and I didn't know why um, or how or how it was possible that it could have happened. And uh, the deeper I dug, the the more stuff that I found out that I really was couldn't believe. Um, but, you know, hopefully, uh, not hopefully, I, I know that I'm going to spend every waking moment the rest of my life that I have available to me beyond, besides trying to live my life along this, uh, making sure that this doesn't happen again. Uh, to anyone else, because at this point, unfortunately, you know, the window of time for me to be able to continue playing, I, I know I could still hit. I'm not questioning that, but just the landscape of the game, um, you know, you don't sign 37-year-old guys anymore. I'm still 36, just FYI, so I'm not 37 yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, like, the time is gone for me, and unfortunately that's something I'll never have back. But, you know, at this point, yeah, I mean, I wish I wish people would just kind of like start doing their research a little more when things like this happen and, and really get into the root of things. And that's not to say that, you know, I, I blame anybody for not doing it, but I think we we just got to start paying attention a little more as a society as a whole. Absolutely. And, um, and like I said, the second I heard you, I'm saying this guy didn't do it. Uh, this is one of those guys, you know, and, and you hear it and you hear it now. So, Chris, first of all, thanks so much for your time tonight, especially with everything that's going on in the world. We appreciate you taking your time out. And, and most important, um, stay healthy, stay safe with your family. And, you know, we really uh, would like to talk to you again because there's a lot of stuff we didn't even cover. Um, of course, your, your yeah. book we're, we're well. going to get into the Italian American Baseball Foundation. That's why I thought I came on the show to begin with. But we, you guys were awesome. That was uh, very penetrating. And thank you for taking the time to want to talk to me, but whenever you want me, I, I mean, we have some downtime now, so whenever sure. you want me, I'm, I'm available. You, you definitely, uh, I got your number, you're definitely coming back on because I want to talk about the Italian Baseball Federation, I also want to talk about your book, but unfortunately we're, we're consumed with time here, so uh, thanks again, and for, first and foremost, stay healthy, alright? Of course, guys, you too. Be you well. got it. Chris Thank Calabello. You.